What was it, cold when you got up this morning? <laughs> it's nice to put on something warm. <laughs> Body and soul. Uh, <laughs> although it sure looked like it was going to be a cold night for a long time. <laughs> hey, if this is your first Sunday with us, I'm really glad you're here. My name is Mike, and I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And so you know, we have a gift for you uh, for, for coming today. Thank you for being here. We just want to let you know how much we appreciate you being here. Now, I want to say this too, as we get moving, I want to remind you that this morning, actually today, the reveal survey, I've been talking about it the last couple of weeks, which is going to help us figure out, you know, uh, how, where we are and what will be helpful to you on your spiritual journey, because we want to help you mature in your faith. The Reveal survey is live as of today. As a matter of fact, my understanding is at noon today, you'll get an email from me with a link to the survey. So if we have your email address, it will come to you, uh, or you can go to our website to get to it. But please, please, please take uh, 15 minutes, set aside 15 minutes to take this survey. It may take you a little less, a little longer. Uh, your input is important to us, will help us know how to best serve you uh, as you grow in your faith journey next year. So please help us with that. And I want to take a moment to recognize some folks from MCC who took place in what was called our, it's our Run for God group, which is, by the way, a 12-week program uh, that was this fall. It includes running education and some Bible study. I was told they talked about uh, trusting God a lot, uh, about getting them through this. And they were also, uh, they talked about what they would say to someone if they were asked about their shirts, because their shirt said running for God. So they wanted to be able to talk about that. And we're going to do this again. The plan is March. So if you're thinking about this, if this is, you're thinking, wow, maybe I could do that. March for a June 5K. So, uh, so those who participated who are in this service, I think, if I've got the names right. So is Nora Hillard in the room? She, uh, right there, yeah, right. I was going to say, she's normally right in front of me. She's right here. You meddled. You meddled. Yeah, you did. And yeah. And Jessica and Nick Creamer, are you uh, in the back? Thank you. All right. All right. And Danielle Bell, is there anybody else who, who was, I can't, and I meddled. No, I did. I wasn't even in the race. Sorry. No. Uh, but uh, at any rate, listen, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about what it is about the way that we live. So being Jesus followers, not just churchgoers, but actually Jesus followers, what it is about us that some of our friends, excuse me, may look at what we're doing and go, I don't know. And so we're in this series called Ridiculous. And to make sure that we're on the same page when it comes to this idea, uh, just so that we, so we all understand, when ridiculous with what we do just means that someone, we are inviting someone to look at us and think, why in the world do they, what, what is up with that? They may roll their eyes. They may, you know, their response is not, they just don't understand. And I don't know if you've picked up on that, but part of what makes following Jesus so difficult is that our friends don't always understand why we think the way we do or see things the way we do or, or react the way we do. And so some of the words that may get associated with our actions are laughable, absurd, stupid, half-baked, idiotic, outrageous, nonsensical. When they look at the church and say, why are they responding that way? So for the last couple of weeks, we looked at what we do, 
that may cause people to uh, think that we're ridiculous. This morning, we're going to talk about something that we won't do, we shouldn't be doing, we're not going to do. So this past week, we took the, the, uh, the light of the kingdom into the community by intentionally serving them. If you're in the room early enough, you got to see some pictures, images on the screen before the service. Uh, and just so you know, last Sunday, we were able to uh, prepare 27,568 meals that we are sending to Haiti uh, to help them out. Yeah, no, that's incredible. You guys are unbelievable. So great. That is great. Uh, over the week, 356 people participated in the uh, events where we're serving our kingdom. And my understanding is that this past Wednesday, because I was asking Jason about this, our student pastor, uh, for Trunk or Treat, we had the ability to influence um, around 800, a little over, a little less than 800 parents and their kids for the kingdom. Preacher count, I, someone asked me and I told him I thought it was just a little over 5,000, but evidently it was more like 800 but, you know, here's the, and the reason, listen, I'm throwing some of that at you because what I want you to understand is there is something that we, that we might do, something you might do, I might do, that, that could wreck everything we've done. I mean, and, and not just this past week, but what you're doing in your home, with, with your family, with, with your friends, what you do in your neighborhood, what you're doing in your school or at your workplace, and to get a glimpse of that, take, take a look at uh, take a look at Proverbs chapter 10. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. So my mom has kept, uh, she kept all kinds of papers from when I was growing up, you know, artwork, and it included my report cards. I don't know if any of you all have your report cards from when you were a kid. You need to hide them before your kids get old enough to look for them. Uh, <laughs> But my kids were going through them, and my daughter found the one that said, my teacher hand wrote on my report card, Mike is a joy to have in class, which wasn't a surprise, but, but he talks too much. Um, I don't know if you've ever had someone else come up to me during this after service and say, man, my teacher wrote that on mine too. Listen, I don't know if you've ever gotten yourself by talking too much. Do you ever wish that you had just, I mean, you're thinking back on a conversation or something that happened earlier in the day, and you just think to yourself, well, I wish I'd kept my mouth shut uh, when, when that happened. The New Living Translation of that verse we just looked at says, too much talk leads to sin. So be sensible and keep your mouth shut. I don't know if you know this or not, but three of the deadly sins mentioned in Proverbs, two of the Ten Commandments deal with our mouths. Proverbs 18 says, you will have to live with the consequences of everything you say. What you say can preserve life or destroy it. So you must accept the consequences of your words. I want to tell you this. God has great concern for what comes out of our mouths. He has great concern for that. So uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the fact that our worship may seem ridiculous to people because we don't view worship as just something that happens on Sunday mornings in this room, we recognize that worship is everything we do in our, our whole life. The way we live our life is an act of worship to God. Our decisions, the way we respond, the way we think ahead and plan, all of that is our worship to God. Last week, we talked about serving others uh, as is, is ridiculous, not because serving is ridiculous. Lots of people serve people who aren't Jesus followers, don't believe in Jesus, as a matter of fact, would say Jesus doesn't exist. They serve other people. What makes us ridiculous is who we're willing to serve. I mean, we will serve people who disagree violently with us, 
who have attacked us. We will serve those who would say and spit in our face and say, Jesus is not real. You're living a lie. We will still reach out in Jesus's love to serve those people. So uh, we've talked about that. Here's the what we won't do, and it has to do with our words. We won't gossip because gossip is, has the ability to damage relationships and that will kill community. It kills churches. It kills the work of the kingdom. Look at Proverbs 26. Without wood, a fire goes out. And without gossip, a quarrel dies down. One comedian said that his dog was a cross between a pit bull and a toy poodle. I mean, imagine that. He said she wasn't much of a guard dog, but she was a vicious gossip. Uh, Proverbs 16. Well, I should have cut that out. Proverbs 16. <laughs> I'm the only one who thought that was funny. Proverbs 16, 28 says, gossip is no good. It causes hard feelings. It comes between friends. Do you know what gossip is? Because I want us to be clear about this. First of all, gossip does not imply that what is being said is not true. As a matter of fact, gossip about somebody could be true. It could be potentially true, or it might possibly potentially could be true, you know, just in case. As a matter of fact, the Random House Dictionary defines it this way. It's idle talk or rumor, especially about the personal or private affairs of someone else. That's what rumor is. So Proverbs, again, chapter 18 says, there's nothing so delicious as the taste of gossip. It melts in your mouth, which is maybe why researchers uh, have estimated, social researchers have estimated that two-thirds of all of our conversation all conversation, two-thirds of it, involves gossip. I don't know if that shocks you or not, but here's the reality. It is everywhere. It's on our phones. It's in our texts. It's in our emails. It's in our Facebook it's, it, and Twitter. It's not just about technology. It's in our homes. It's, it happens in our neighborhoods. It happens in our offices. Listen, it happens in our small groups if we're not careful. And that list goes on and on and on. And when the book of Proverbs talks about gossips, there's two different Hebrew words they use, but they mean basically the same thing. When it, when it talks about gossiping, we're talking about tale tellers. We're telling tales about someone else, true or not. People who specialize in talking about other people's lives. And listen, it is serious stuff because when Paul writes to the church in Rome about it, he lists gossip as a sin, but look at what they're lumped with murderers, people with malice, slanderers, God-haters, insolent people, arrogant, boastful people. That's, where, that's who gossip is lumped with. Melody Green uh, said that most people think of gossip as spreading lies. Uh, and we reason that if we know for a fact that what we're talking about is true, that we can say anything we want about anybody. But after studying the subject thoroughly, she concluded gossip is sharing anything about someone when the act of sharing is not part of the solution to that person's problem, when sharing this is not part of that, the solution of that person's problem. And she, she went on to point out that we, listen, we, we often cloak our gossip in religious language. So we'll say something to a friend along the lines of, we really need to pray for so-and-so because they're having this terrible problem. And then we just go on to talk about this horrific problem, fill in all the juicy details. And her conclusion was, she said, if I'd spend as much time on my knees talking to God as I did on my couch talking to my friends, I would be quite the woman of God by now. So I'm going to ask for a show of hands just for a moment. 
How many of you would say you knew before you walked in this morning? You didn't even know what we're talking about, but you already know. You knew when you got out of bed this morning. You knew when you came here today, gossip is wrong. Show of hands. Okay, take a look around at the people whose hands aren't up. We'll talk about them later. Um, So here's the question. We all know it's wrong, right? We all know it's wrong. Why do we do it? Why do we do it anyway? Why is it so easy? Why is it so appealing to gossip? The Bible talks about three reasons. Here's the first one, uh, because it talks about three very specifically. The first one is pride. In the New Testament, at the end of the Bible, in 3 John, so the, the apostle who writes letters he's, that are at the end of the Bible, uh, and then followed by the book of Revelation, that he, uh, the, the vision that he saw, he wrote this in 3 John chapter 1. He said, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to be the number one leader, but he won't pay any attention to us. So if I come, I will remind him of how he has been attacking us with gossip. So Diotrephes was someone who wanted to control the church. He seemed to view others as competition. And his way to take care of the opposition was to gossip about them, to discredit them. Now, that's not just a first century problem. In our century, in our day and age, this uh, principle is at work when we believe that we can make ourselves look better by making someone else look worse, right? We tear someone else down to, to lift ourselves up. It's not new, And it's not right, but I will say this, it is effective. And we need to be careful as the church that we're not doing it. Here's the second, it's idleness. Idleness is another reason we gossip. When when Paul writes to Timothy, uh, he says this, um, he's talking about widows. He says, besides, they'll become lazy and get into the habit of going from house to house. And next, they're going to start gossiping and, and become busybodies, talking about the things that are none of their business. That principle still holds true. Listen, and it's for men and women. Please don't misread that. It's for men and women. When we're not busy, when we're not doing the things that we ought to be doing, it's that standing around the coffee pot or the, uh, the water cooler at work. It's sitting on our front porch or on our back deck. When we're not busy doing the things we're supposed to be doing, when we're idle, we can, let that, we can slip right into that type of dialogue. Here's the last one. The Bible tells us that sometimes we gossip just because it's fun. Man, it's fun. So what is your favorite dessert, by the way? Uh, Cold stone ice cream? I don't know right? Flavored popcorn from what's popping, right? You know what I'm saying? What Solomon said in Proverbs 18, 8, so interesting, he repeats himself in chapter 26. He says, there's nothing so delicious as the taste of gossip. It melts in your mouth. I mean, gossip is just like your favorite dessert. So when you take a bite of your favorite dessert, what's your second move? Put it down, push it away, say, man, that was good. I'm glad I had a bite of that. Is that what you do? You go, oh, man, that was, that was awesome. Thank you. And, and you're done. No, if it's our favorite, what do we do? Man, if you take one bite, oh, my gosh, that's, you know, the beginning of, you know, the next bite, which could go on for a while, right? That, listen, it's the same way with gossip. Once you get a little bit of it, you want a little bit more. And the problem is the problems that gossip causes in our lives. That's why Proverbs 13, 3 says, he who guards his lip guides his lips, guards his life, but he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. Listen, you want to know how this kills community. You want to know how this wrecks the kingdom. 
three ways they're on your notes. Here's the first one. It wrecks your relationship. It wrecks, it wrecks community with the person you're talking about. The person you're talking, so you're talking to somebody about somebody else. Proverbs 12, 18 reminds us that reckless words pierce like a sword. The book of Psalms also says a lot about the tongue. And it's interesting because the language that that book in the Old Testament, like 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, right? That book, it uses language that typifies a violent scenario. It uses words like daggers and swords, and poisonous tips, and arrows, and death and destruction, where the tongue is concerned. Our words can do damage to someone else's life. Dr. Laura Schlesinger, uh, she wrote this, my name is Gossip, and I have no respect for justice. I maim without killing, I break hearts and ruin lives, I'm cunning and malicious, and I gather strength with age. The more I'm quoted, the more I'm believed. I flourish at every level of society. My victims are helpless. They cannot protect themselves against me because I have no face. To track me down is impossible. The harder you try, the more elusive I become. And I am nobody's friend. Once I tarnish your reputation, it is never the same. I topple governments. I wreck marriages. I ruin careers. I cause sleepless nights, heartaches, and indigestion. I spawn suspicion, and I generate grief. I make innocent people cry in their pillows. I make headlines and headaches. I'm telling you, we need to be careful because our words can wreck someone else's life. Here's the second reason that the Bible talks about. It doesn't just ruin the relationship with the person you're talking about. It ruins the relationship with the person you're talking with. Think about this. Y'all are talking about someone else. What's the other person thinking if you're the one doing the talking? Have you ever, have you ever been... And you think to yourself, if they'll talk about them like that when they're not around, what do they say about me when I'm not around? And if you've never thought that before, can I encourage you to start thinking about that? Proverbs 11 says, a gossip tells everything, but a true friend will keep a secret. I don't know if you've ever had anyone betray a secret of yours. There's a lot more lost than just merely information. Because not only is a trust broken, but this bond that has taken years maybe decades to build, is be, uh, it's just betrayed. And in a world of broken promises and throwaway relationships, listen, we need friends who will not sell us out. Here's the third reason. G- gossip doesn't just damage others, it damages you. At the end of the New Testament uh, is a letter from James who writes this in chapter 3, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. I want you to notice what James says, who he says is whose life is destroyed by the tongue. He says it can set whose whole life on fire? Your whole life, my whole life. My tongue has the ability to destroy me, it sets my, can set my whole world on fire. I don't know, maybe you've heard of Harriet, the church gossip. She was sticking her nose in everybody's business and nobody liked her, but everybody was afraid of her because she just talked too much. One day she started gossiping about the new guy in church whose name is George. And she said that he was an alcoholic because she had seen his pickup truck all afternoon in front of the town's only bar. Well, the rumor got back to George. He had a drinking problem because his truck was there so long. George never really confronted Harriet. 
but for a week he parked his truck in front of her house and left it there all night long. Listen, uh, <laughs> write that down. Uh, Dr. John Skowronski uh, was the lead author of a study that assessed, assessed the effects of gossip. And he discovered that people hear, hearing you gossip will actually attribute what you're saying about someone else, they'll attribute that to you. So if you talk about someone being dishonest, the person you're telling will accidentally, unconsciously associate dishonesty with you. He said it's a memory mistake. So people who talk about others become associated with whatever they're talking about. And I know that's not new. Proverbs 21 says those who are careful about what they say keep themselves out of trouble. Listen, a lot of people can get hurt badly by this. So how do we tell? So just what are the warning signs? How do we tell if we're moving into a dangerous area of conversation? Because sometimes we just slip right into it. And we don't even know how we got there. Here's the first. It's just two questions. I want to ask your, you ask yourselves these. I don't think they're on your notes. You may want to write them down. How would I feel if this conversation was about me? If somebody else was talking about publicly my mistakes, how would I feel about that? If somebody was talking about my bad grades, if somebody was talking about my children this way, whatever the conversation is about, do you want someone discussing that about you? Here's the second question. Why am I talking about this person? Am I mad at them? Does it make me feel bigger to make them look smaller? Do I just like laughing at other people's expense? Am I venting my frustration because I'm afraid to go one-on-one, -on -one, to talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, to have a face-to-face -face with that person? Because if your words are motivated by those factors, any of them, you've crossed this line uh, and you're moving into an area of unwholesome talk. Psalm 19 says this, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, God. C. Baxter said, the proof that you're filled with God's spirit is not that you speak in an unknown tongue, but that you control the one you do know. And we need to be careful. So how do we do that? How do we get ridiculous? Because I don't know about you. I know I struggle at times with this. And so how do we, if we begin to move into this, how do we make sure we, we avoid it or pull ourselves back out of it? So here, just three ways. First, if you're in a conversation that looks like it's heading into gossip territory, express your concerns. So if someone else is talking, say, look, I know you, maybe you're angry with them right now, but I'm not comfortable with where this conversation is going. And I pray that things will get better between you two and you can patch things up. Ephesians 4 says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. It's, it's the whole, it's this last part. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And so the question you've got to ask yourself is what we're talking about here. Is it building people other, other people up or is it tearing them down? And keep in mind that you can be telling the truth about someone and hurting them. Please hear that. You can be telling the truth about someone and still hurting them with what you're saying. We need to speak truths that are beneficial to others. Second, if, if you're with someone, they just keep hammering away at someone else and they just won't change the subject. You may need to excuse yourself. Proverbs 20 says, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. Now, I, listen, I want you to be careful with this, okay? Because what you don't want to say is, hey, hey, you're a gossiper. 
And uh, Jesus said, I should avoid you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you're no better than a God-hater, slanderer, and murderer. All right, that, that's not going to get done what we want to get done here. All right, just be careful. Instead, you may want to say something along the lines of, look, I'm just, I'm not going to listen to this. And being honest with you, you, you shouldn't be talking about this like this either. I'm not sure this is helpful for anybody. And, and let it go. And, and, and here's the last one, because this will be part of your uh, plan as well. Pray for yourself. Because our words have the ability to draw people to Jesus or to push them away. Our words have incredible power in our own life and in the life of people around us. Ben Franklin wrote, a slip of the foot you may soon recover, but a slip of the tongue you may never get over. And he was just mirroring what Proverbs 18, 7 says, a fool's mouth is his undoing, and his lips are a snare to his soul. Look at this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's true? Because we have to be careful. Rabbi Joseph Talishkin author of Words That Hurt, Words That Heal, has lectured throughout our country about the powerful, often negative impact that our words have. And he'll ask audiences if they can go 24 hours without saying an unkind word about or to another person. Uh, and when he asks that question, so I want you to think about that. Can you go 24 hours? Can, would you go the next 24 hours? So what time is it? 11.43, can you go until a quarter till lunch tomorrow and uh, without saying an unkind word about or to someone else? Okay, 24 hours. He says when he asks groups that, some people will raise their hand, a small group will raise their hand saying yes, others will laugh, and quite a large group will, will call back to him no. And he said those who can't answer yes have to recognize they have a serious problem. So when I just asked you that, if you thought, well, I don't know if I could do that or not. He said, if you can't go 24 hours without drinking, you're drinking alcohol, you're addicted to liquor. If you can't go 24 hours without smoking, you're addicted to nicotine. And if you can't go 24 hours without saying an unkind word to or about someone else, you have lost control of your tongue. And as the kingdom of God... We can't let that be true of us. We have to watch our words. Maybe you've seen this prayer before. It's not bad. Dear Lord, so far today I've done all right. I haven't gossiped. I haven't been greedy or grumpy or nasty or selfish or overindulgent, and I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, God, I'm going to get out of bed. <laughs> and from then on, I'm going to need a lot of help. Amen. End of the Bible, James again writes in chapter 3, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in his image. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. And so we come to this time of communion. Uh, it's a great time to remember this because we hold in our hands the emblems of Jesus' body, the cracker, Jesus' body that was broken for us, and the juice, which represents his blood, reminds us of his blood that was shed for us so that our sins might be forgiven, that the worst in us might be forgiven, 
and to show us just to what extent he will go to love us. And so as we do this thing, I would ask you to consider that you are praising God by these motions. This is an act of worship. It is an act of praise to God. The same mouth that praises God right now. Are you going to allow it to curse others later? Because we all know this should not be. In the kingdom of God, it cannot be. It destroys relationships. It destroys the community that God is wanting to build in the midst to be a bright light for those who live in darkness, that they might be drawn to him. And so we make that commitment to him even now as we take communion. Let's go to him. God, thank you because you have loved us so much. And every, every time we come together like this and every time we hold these emblems in our hand, we remind ourselves of the, of the length that you would go to to love us and to be your children, to allow us to be part of your family. And that you have now given us the task, not just, it's not just about us coming to be part of your family. You've given us the task. You reach right through our lives into the lives of people around us. You use our words for other people to hear your voice. And God, may we remember that. So as we hold these emblems and we receive them, and we remember who you are and who you've called us to be. God, we pray that you will put a guard, a muzzle over our mouth, that we would speak only the words that help people to see you when they look at us. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.